What's up, everybody? My name is Charlie Ungamak. I am the founder and curator of the Gird Up Podcast. Glad to have you with us today. Um, I hope that the sound quality is a little bit improved on this one over the last one. Uh, still trying to figure out some of the technology stuff, and when you've recorded a 30-minute podcast, you don't really want to go back and do it all over again just because the sound isn't awesome, uh, but we're quickly finding better ways to do it, um, and as you can tell, we've now got a little bit of a studio space to record in, so this is all kinds of awesome. Uh, really blessed to have the opportunities that we have to keep growing, keep bringing the gospel message to more and more people around the world. If you missed the updates, I am now officially a student at Martin Luther College. I'm going back to school to be a seminarian and eventually a pastor. That means i got to learn Greek and Hebrew, which means I've got all kinds of exciting things going on in my life right now, but it also means that I don't have a uh, uh, as much of an income coming in as I used to. So if you're willing and ready, and if you would like to help out the Gird Up podcast, make sure you find us on Patreon or uh, message me. Um, all that contact information is at the end of the show in the outro. Um, just keep me in your prayers as we go into this new journey, as we as we start this new path that I've never quite been on before. And for years and years, I said I would never do. Um, and I pray that the Lord blesses it. I pray that the Lord continues to bless this ministry and give me more and more opportunities to give Jesus to the world. Before we get started, uh, we got to talk about today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is Pastor Paul Steinberg. Uh, he is a father of five sons himself. He's a doctor of divinity, and he puts together a podcast every single week five podcasts actually every week for people who are working with kids we're bringing jesus to kids it's called the christ for disciples podcast take 10 minutes each weekday to listen to the christ for disciples podcast and get direction and gospel power to disciple the youngest generation subscribe to the christ for disciples podcast at christfordisciples.com or on apple Podcasts, google play or wherever else you listen to your podcast you all know i love pastor steinberg he's been a tremendous blessing to me in my ministry and in my spiritual life i hope he can be that for you as well that's the christ for disciples podcast find it on apple Podcasts, google play spotify wherever else you listen to podcasts probably wherever you listen to this podcast let's get started with the show You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. All right, gents. Today's the day. Today we're talking about sex. That's right, we're talking about sex. Let's talk about sex, baby. You you didn't know that song either until Pitch Perfect came out, and don't deny it. You know it's true. Uh, but today we are talking about sex, and um, talking about sex is an important part of our Christian lives because it is an important part of our Christian lives. In our uh, incredibly sexualized American culture, it continues to be a uh, bit of a taboo thing. Um, it continues to be a huge point of confusion for a lot of young Christians. Um, and it's part of my daily life as a young man and yours as well. And it means it's something we need to talk about. And particularly for me, I find myself in this weird predicament all the time uh, where I'm I'm a single guy. I'm not married yet. Certainly looking for a wife. Uh, if you think you might be a viable candidate, let me know. Anyway, um, 
I'm looking for a wife, and I found myself in the last six years teaching in inner city Milwaukee, and I love the city of Milwaukee. I love the people I got to work with, um, but there weren't a whole lot of young, single Christian girls who were not like mothers or uh, you know, divorcees or, or just weren't a lot around who had lived up to that point according to the laws of God. And I know that I have a lot of brothers um, around the world who are in a similar predicament where you're going, look, they love Jesus. Um, but they've lived a sinful lifestyle, or there just aren't girls in my church. Like, I serve a small congregation. There's nobody at my church that I'm interested in, nobody in my church that I really want to date. Um, being a part of a congregation where there are a lot of young people is certainly a blessing, but some of us can't be. Uh, and so where do we find girls to date? And is it okay to date a single mom? Is it okay to pursue young women who are not virgins, um, but who do love the Lord? Obviously, that's the misnomer for all of this, is they have to love the Lord. Um, but what's the appropriate approach? It gets weird and confusing really fast, um, and it's just a challenge. It's a huge challenge. It's a confusing world, and it's made even more confusing by sexually active Christians who... You and I know them. Um, they're all over the place. So sexually active Christians, um, conflicting teachings about sexuality and sex from different churches, because different churches will say different things, um, and frankly, unproductive sex education. A lot of Christian groups and churches and schools um, don't do a very good job of sex ed. There's a whole lot of law and not a whole lot of gospel and not a whole lot of intent. So that's where we're going to start right now. Um, we are going to talk about sex, what's really going on, um, why we treat it the way we treat it, what it really is, all that stuff. Uh, we're going to try and reframe our view of sex to one that's appropriate and one that's biblically accurate and scripturally sound. Um, so you and I, of course, at this point in our lives, we know the physical mechanics of sex. We know how that works. I'm not going to explain that to you. It would be a waste of time and it would probably give me an explicit, <laughs> an explicit rating on, I, on iTunes and I don't want to do that. So we don't need to talk about the physical action of sex. We know how to have sex. But there's way more to the picture than just two people getting it on and having this fun experience, which is what the world would have us believe. There's way more to it than that. However, um, there's a whole lot more to the picture. And so we need to talk about the purpose of sex. We talk about the purpose of marriage all the time, right? Three purposes of marriage. You got companionship and family, right? That's where the family is established is in marriage. Um, you got the blessing of children. God said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill up the earth. So we do. We have kids. Um, and sex is what makes kids. Um, and then the third is that ability to stay chaste, right? That Christian purity. God gave us the gift of sex. He knows that it can go wrong very quickly. And so he gives us someone to have sex with where it's okay, where it's appropriate, where it's even good to have sex with them so that we can maintain our purity, purity of heart, purity of soul, purity of mind. That's another word for chastity. Um, but sex is completely intertwined and interwoven with marriage. And we usually say sex is only okay inside of marriage. And this is what marriage is. We don't actually talk about the relationship between the two. It's intermingled. It's all it's all interwoven together. It's all one thing. So we need to talk about them as if they are all one thing, because that's really how God made them from a physical standpoint though however there are all kinds of things going on except for gyrating when we talk about sex um during the process of actually making love from from the point at which you're like wow she's really cute or huh, she's kind of hot from that point through the actual process of having physically having sex there's all kinds of things that go on 
two things in particular. There are two releases in your brain. There's chemicals that are released in your body and in your brain when we have sex. The first is dopamine. Now, dopamine is what we often call like the feel-good hormone, right? It makes us feel really good. makes us feel joy. makes us feel happy. Um, sex is not the only place where we get dopamine by any means. Um, there's dopamine releases when we're having fun with friends, when we're enjoying ourselves, when we see a joke and we think it's funny. Those are all dopamine releases, but those are small doses of dopamine. When you have sex, there is an enormous release of dopamine. Right? And the second chemical that comes out during sex, the second uh, thing that's released in our body during sex is oxytocin, not oxycotton. That's a very different thing. Oxytocin is released. And when oxytocin is released, we call that the cuddle chemical or the cuddle hormone. Um, what it does is it gives us the desire. I mean, superficially, it gives us the desire to hug and, you know, to hug and to cuddle and to be close to each other. Um, but from a scientific standpoint, from a, even from a neurological standpoint, it promotes like closeness and attachment to the person that you're making love to. So both males and females, they're growing an attachment towards each other. There's actually a chemical reaction going on in my brain that attaches me to you. So what it does is it makes us associate sex and our partner with joy and with happiness um, and with like strengthening our commitment um, to each other. So like the, it's the oxytocin that um, makes us want to be together more often. So when people start having sex, they want to be apart less. Right? And that's an incredibly good thing. It's part of the way God designed us and, and made us. In other words, even in a purely physical sense, sex strengthens both short-term and long-term commitment between two people. So when two people are having sex, it literally changes the way their brain works so that they're more committed to each other, so that they want to be more committed to each other, both right now and for the long term and over time. Particularly if you have a healthy sex life and you're having sex regularly, you're going to want to be more committed and more committed and more committed. Um, the fun fact about all of this is, first of all, masturbation doesn't produce the same uh, chemicals in the same quantities as actual sex does. Actual sex is really healthy for you. Masturbation drives down your testosterone, drives down your estrogen, and reduces your ability to feel once you actually do have sex and there's a legitimate dopamine release. So don't do it. The other fun fact is that these are the same two chemicals, oxytocin and dopamine. These are the same two chemicals that are released in your brain when we do hard drugs like uh, cocaine. So you think about how strong cocaine is. You would never, ever try cocaine, right? Or most of us wouldn't. Um, and if we did, we'd, we already know what the consequences are before we start it, right? Well, it's the same uh, addictive quality. It's the same things going on in our body and in our brain when we are on cocaine as we are when we're having sex. Those are incredibly, incredibly powerful and, when they're abused, incredibly dangerous chemicals that are flown through our body. This is something we need to take seriously. Sexually active couples are literally getting addicted to each other. They're literally chemically addicted to making love to each other, to, to having sex with each other. They have an addiction. They're like sex junkies. In a good way, if they're married, they're like sex junkies. They're going to keep doing it because it feels good, because it causes release, and they become literally their body craves it, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, and this is a really good thing in Christian marriage because both the man and the woman want to have sex with regularity. And if you want to have sex with regularity, you're going to have sex with regularity. And if both people have a healthy attitude towards sex, they're treating sex appropriately, they're going to want to have regular sex, and they're going to keep having the same benefits over and over and over again. 
Um, the second reason it's a good thing for Christian marriage is that it causes men and women to physically long for each other. They don't want to be apart. They don't want to be away from each other. They don't want to be separated from each other. Paul even talks about the idea of you shouldn't stop having sexual relationships with each other. Like if you have to take a break for a little bit of time to, you know, like fix a problem or you know, the couple separate, people do things that cause us to refrain for a while. But once you've solved the problem, go right back to having regular sex the way God created us to. The scripture tells us that explicitly. Um, it's, it's part of what binds us together as a married couple. Um, and the third thing is that when you are chemically dependent on something, you'll do whatever it takes to get to that point. And that's, that's a negative thing. And usually we hear that kind of language when we're talking about substance abuse, right? But in this particular case, it's actually a really good thing because as pardon, I know I'm being really blunt about all this stuff, but like if a dude wants to get laid or if a girl wants to get laid with, with their wife or with their husband, right? What are they going to do? They're going to become more kind, loving, joyful, compassionate, faithful, gentle, patient, self-controlled. Those are the gifts of the spirit. And they're going to do those things to make their a significant other, their husband or their wife, feel better to make them feel attracted to each other, to get them in the mood so that they can have sexual relations. So it's literally, physically, forcing me to get closer to God, to live out my calling as a man of God, and to be a healthy, happy, functioning Christian. So sex within marriage is an incredibly good thing. We are truly, fearfully, and wonderfully made. God has literally put things in our brain to help us be monogamous, to help us be faithful to him, and to help us grow closer to him every single day. Like It's, it's, it's like training a dog, right? Pavlov, the whole idea of you give a dog a treat, when you ring the bell, you ring the bell, the dog drools. You ring the bell, the dog drools. Eventually, you don't give the dog a treat anymore, but he still drools, right? Well, he has that same thing uh, with you and me. I, all I have to do is look at my beautiful wife, someday when I have one, and I'm going to have a dopamine release, I'm going to have an oxytocin release, and I'm going to be keep falling in love with her over and over and over and over again. However, if we become sexually active in a temporary relationship, or if we become sexually active in a uncommitted relationship, love hurts, man. Like, we're going to get hurt. Because when that relationship ends, when we're no longer sexually active with that person or when we're betrayed by that person or hurt by that person, it becomes all that much worse because those oxytocin and dopamine withdrawals are going to kick in. You're gonna, those levels are going to need to drop because you're chemically dependent on this other person. You're going to start losing all of those chemicals that make you feel so good and it's going to make love hurt even more. A breakup sucks whether you're having sex or not. But if you're having sex and you break up with someone, it's even worse. It hurts even more than it did before. You're basically a junkie who's strung out on the other person. Like There's all kinds of country songs about it, right? There's almost every song on the radio is about it. Me craving you. It's a literal, actual thing that's happening in our brains and in our bodies when those hormones are released. Um, even once you stop having sex, even once you're done, you still continue to crave it. It still continues to be something on your mind, just like when it's a chemical addiction. So even when an addict gets clean, like they're still always tempted to go back to it, right? They're still looking for that dopamine hit. They're still looking for that oxytocin hit. It's the same way once we become sexually active. We're still looking back for that. And so 
once a guy in particular becomes sexually active, he's likely to have multiple sexual partners. And so he's kind of spreading himself out around and it becomes, makes that pain, it makes the hurt even worse, it makes the challenges even greater someday when he's in a committed marriage relationship, particularly as a Christian man. God gave us sex as a special gift that physically binds two people together, physically, right? Um, and if you're not sure that you want to spend forever with somebody, you shouldn't be having sex with them. If you're, even if you're not sure if, if they want to spend forever with you, you shouldn't be having sex with them. Just from a purely secular standpoint, it's going to hurt more if you have to break up with them and you're, not, and you're already having sex. And that's where the whole marriage ceremony and marriage vows come into play. Um, people argue sometimes that marriage is not something that's uh, like implemented in Scripture. Like when God gives Adam to Eve, they don't stand before the altar with a pastor and swear before their friends and family and before God to be uh, faithful to each other for the rest of their lives. That's where the whole point of the marriage ceremony comes in. I'm standing before God and I'm standing before my family. I'm standing before my congregation. I'm standing before my loved ones. I'm even going to the government and I'm saying, I will be faithful to this other person for the rest of my life. And at that point, when I've literally sworn that all my possessions are yours, that my whole heart is yours, that my whole life is going to be dedicated to you and God for the rest of time, once I've made that commitment, I can be pretty sure that this person isn't going to leave, and therefore we start having sex. We've been committed for an entire life. That's, that's the way it goes. And that's why we don't have sex until after we're married. It's an insurance policy that keeps us from getting hurt. But the spiritual side of sex is even is just as interesting and just as important. Um, God tells us that our bodies are his, right? We're the temples of the Holy Spirit. We, God tells us that the Holy Spirit lives in us, and therefore God actually actively lives in us. We've all talked about that since we were little kids. We talked about it in catechism class. This isn't anything new, um, but a lot of times we don't really think about it as something that's literal, like God is actually living in me. So everything that I do with my body, God is, I'm doing with God, and God is doing with me with my body. And that's that section of uh, where Paul talks about the idea of would you reunite God with a prostitute? Absolutely not. So why would you unite yourself with a prostitute? Well, how would you become one flesh with a prostitute? Because you know that you're also making God one flesh with a prostitute, but the prostitute has no place with God. So why are you doing it? It's an incredibly sinful thing. and It's an incredibly dangerous thing. Paul also then in 1 Corinthians 6 says, flee from sexual immorality because all of the sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body and God is actively with me, living in me. This is something that's incredibly intimate because it doesn't just involve me and a woman, it involves God. We just established in the last like 10 minutes that sex means something physically, right? It's a very big and important thing um, physically and we got to be careful with it. Um, and it also is so spiritually, um, even more than just being like hard to break up after you have sex, God tells us that the love that a man and woman have for each other is a picture of the love that God has for the church, that the love a husband has for his wife is like the love that God has for the church. And the love that a, a wife has for her husband is the, like the love that the church has for God, right? They go together. This is, a, this is a picture from God of what his love for us looks like. When God talks about the two becoming one flesh, he's not just talking about like they physically, you know, like he inserts his member into her. Like that's, that's not just what they're talking about. He's talking about something way more than that. He's saying that one person is willingly and, and, and willfully 
becoming one with someone else. They're physically and emotionally becoming dependent on each other. But doesn't God say that we shouldn't be putting anything else on the throne of our hearts? Isn't God saying that nothing else should come into place? Well, when you and I love God, so when you have a man who loves God and a woman who loves God, right? So this is man and God, and this is woman and God, and they come together, and now you've got man, woman, and God. It's a picture of God. It's that trinity, right? It's a three-person relationship. It's a three-way relationship. It's God, man, and wife. And that's where Proverbs says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. God has made the marriage bed incredibly pure and incredibly strong. And he's done so physically. He's done so spiritually. He's given us an incredible gift that we've been specifically designed for and specifically designed to enjoy. It's supposed to be this awesome and tremendously good and joyful and intimate thing. So we should treat it as such. And that's how we need to talk about it with kids. That's how we should be talking about it with each other. That's how we should be talking about it in churches. This is the conversation we need to have about sex, not just sex before marriage is bad. Don't do it. Well, yeah, we shouldn't do it. But this is why. If you unite the purpose with the law, there's going to be much more adherence to the law. There's a reason God tells us not to be sexually immoral. And it's not because we're going to hell if we do. It's because he wants to protect to, to protect us from pain and to give us a picture of who he is and what he is and to protect the integrity of that relationship between man and wife and God and protect that Im integrity of the picture of who God is. But not everybody does. Not everybody is faithful. Not everybody does keep themselves pure. Not everybody maintains their virginity until they're married. So what about them, right? Um, what about those people who've already screwed up this relationship, who've already screwed up their sex lives? Right? Um, what about that dude who has a reputation of being a ladies' man, right? and now nobody wants to be with him, nobody wants to be around him, he kind of gets shunned because everybody knows what he's doing on the weekends? Right? Or what about the single mom who lives to regret for the rest of her life? And she loves her child, but she regrets that one-night stand for the rest of her life. It was literally a one-time thing, and now she just lives in shame and scorn. She might even get removed from the church. What about her? What do we do with her? Right? What about the divorce, the, the divorcee, the person that ended up getting divorced because they couldn't uh, control themselves because they made a bad choice, so they stepped out of bounds and they blew up their marriage. What happens? What do we do? What's the next step? Or the last one I, I, I had written down. Or what about the teen who gets hooked on pornography when he's 12 years old? What do you do with him? What do you do with him? Do you scold him? Do you yell at him, ground him, and then let him back into the world? We need to have a conversation about what's going on in the heart. We need to have a conversation about why God puts rules in place for us and why he tells us not to have sex outside of marriage. This has to start with forgiveness. This can't start with anger and with law. This has to start with forgiveness. The reason that God forgives us to have sex outside of marriage is to protect us from pain and to maintain the integrity of the gift that he's given us. For too often, way too often, People who commit sexual sin are ostracized. They are shunned. They are forced out of, out of community groups. They are sometimes even forced out of churches, whether it's like by law where the, the, the church gets together and says, you're no longer a member, or whether it's just that they're treated so unpleasantly in a church once their sin comes to light that they just can't stand being anymore and they leave. We 100% need to condemn the sin. 
We absolutely need to condemn sexual immorality and we need to insist that people leave their lives of sin and repent and are restored to the covenant that are restored to a righteous position within their spiritual lives. They need to be restored to righteousness with God. They can't continue to sin any longer. They need to stop. I fully agree with that and commit to that, and that needs to be step one. But we can't forget to forgive them once they do that. We can't forget the wonderful and incredible healing power of God's love. Think about this. This is one of my favorite analogies in this particular topic. I have a friend who a few years ago, they had a house fire. They had just built their dream home. Like it was a big, beautiful, gorgeous house. They had just finished it. They still had a, pretty much the entire mortgage to pay. And they had a house fire. It was a total loss. Everything burned down. It literally was down to the point where they had like two shirts. He had like two shirts left that were in his car. Um, so they had a car. Um, they had like two shirts left. And then like the clothes they were wearing and everything else that wasn't in their bank account was just absolutely gone. It was gone. Everything they'd worked for, everything they'd loved, everything they, they invested everything in this dream house. And it was all gone. What do you do? Do you just be homeless for the rest of your life? Do you just never have another home? You live in a box on a street corner? Go live in a homeless shelter? Is that what you do? No. You build the house back up. And it's going to take time, it's going to take patience, it's going to take money, it's going to be frustrating, it's going to be hard, it's going to be sad, but eventually, you're going to build back up a new house. And in this particular case, they didn't get to rebuild their dream house. The insurance gave them money, but it wasn't the same amount of money that they spent on a house. Their house isn't as good as the house, it isn't the dream house that they had built in the first place. But it's a wonderful house, it's a big house, it's a beautiful house. But it's not the house that they started with. Do they just spend every day saying, oh, I wish that the ah, that old house was so nice. Ah, I wish I could go back. They're just thankful that they have a place to live. And it's a really nice place to live. And they really genuinely enjoy living there. Well, the same concept is true about our sexuality. Just because we screwed it up, just because we lost our virginity, just because something happened when we were young, doesn't mean that we can't be restored. It doesn't mean that we can't heal. It might not ever be back to where it would have been if we hadn't ever in the first place. Right? We're never going to get that perfect purity back, but we can certainly come back within God's love. We can certainly have a healthy sex life then in the future with a partner. We can certainly be forgiven. We can certainly pursue righteousness now with the opportunity that we have left. We're not dead yet. We still have more time to get it right, to follow God, to follow where he leads. God gives us the opportunity to rebuild and renew and restore. And it's our job then as, as their fellow Christians to help those of us who have sinned, who have fallen, to take part, to appreciate, to be a part of that, that forgiveness and that love. So with all that being said, I personally don't, when I'm dating, don't discriminate against single moms and girls who have at some point been sexually active. Um, I certainly value the virtues of you know virginity and chastity i myself am a 28 year old virgin i've never had sex and i don't plan on having sex until the day i'm married and i'm very clear about that no matter who i'm going out with i establish that right away uh, it's not like the first thing i say like if i meet a girl at a diner somewhere and I don't, i'm not like hey i think you're really cute and i don't have sex you want to go out no it's not what I, but like as part of the conversation early on i will tell her hey look 
Uh, I don't know what your history is. I don't know where you've been or what you've been doing. I just want to be really clear with you. I am abstaining until I'm married. I'm, I am a virgin. I've never had sex, and I don't plan on having sex until I'm married. Um, and if you're down with that, well, let's do this. Um, but if you're not down with that, I just want you to know right now because I don't want to waste your time or mine. And I'm really open and honest about that. I also usually don't date girls who aren't Christians, who don't already have an active faith life. And so it makes that conversation a little bit easier. Most of them understand. Um, even if they aren't virgins, they understand kind of where I'm coming from and why I'm having the conversation I'm having, why I'm approaching it the way I am. And the second thing I do is I openly own... Um, and ask for forgiveness for my own sexual sin. If you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you know that when I was younger, in particular when I was younger, I struggled quite a bit with pornography as a kid, like even as a preteen and as a teen. Um, and it's not something that's part of my daily life. It's not something that I, I partake in now. Um, but it is something that's there, and it's something that needs to be confessed and forgiven. And when I'm open about that, I, it's not, again, it's not like this is a first date conversation. But within our conversations moving forward, and partially because I keep telling you guys about it on the podcast, it's part of the conversation that I have to have, that we have to have with each other. And well over 80% of men um, in the world today, and well over 60% of men in the church, have at some point in their lives actively used pornography. It's not just me. It's not just you having to fight that battle and have that conversation. But when we own these things, when we talk about them with each other, we get on a path to healing, and we can get to the point where we actually do have a happy, faithful sex life. right? And that's where we want to go. That's where we want to be. Um, I also then ask for forgiveness and actively forgive her. Um, and I won't tell you that it doesn't hurt. And I, and I won't pretend for a second that my history doesn't hurt the people um, that I share it with. It, it does. Right? It, it is something that hurts. When I find out that a girl has had sex with two or three other dudes, my immediate reaction is, I don't want to share you. But it's, it's not the end of it. I can get past that. I, we can heal. We can work together. We can pray for a healthy sexuality and a healthy sex life. Now, I haven't found a girl who I want to marry yet, but that wasn't the grounds for not choosing not to marry some of the girls that I've dated. Uh, I've dated single moms. I've dated girls who have told me, hey, I'm not a virgin. And I'm okay with that as long as they've left the lifestyle and they are committed to being righteous and they are committed to doing it God's way this time around. I will also say that if I find out that somebody had it was like very sexually active for a very long time, or somebody had like multiple partners who they were sexually active with for quite a while, or you know, like that kind of, the more history they have, the more wary I am. That's just the reality. Um, the more history they have, the, the longer it takes for me to kind of get past it and move forward to the next stage of the relationship. Um, and I think that's understandable. I think that's it's right and it's fair. Um, because this is something that's so incredibly intimate and it's going to have an effect on our entire lives together. The whole purpose of dating is to find a wife. And so if I'm looking, actively looking for a wife, I want to have these conversations early on so I know if she's the woman I want to marry. And some dudes just don't want to go there. And I understand that too. But I'm saying you shouldn't, we don't need to just condemn it offhand like anyone who's ever had sex is now out. They are not in the running. Right? Um, if we're not on the same page with all this stuff, of course, we don't continue to date. I don't want to waste her time. She doesn't want to waste mine. Um, I would point to, however, to, to, now, to, to come to the close here, to land the plane. Um, I would point out three stories that I think ought to frame 
our thoughts and our, our meditations on sexuality, particularly the second half of it and forgiveness, right? Um, the first is from John 8, and you're familiar with the story. It's the story where the uh, Pharisees and teachers of the law, they bring an adulterous woman to Jesus. She's a woman who was caught in adultery. So she's caught having sex with a man that she's not married to. They bring her to Jesus. I would also note that they didn't bring the man to Jesus. They just brought the woman to Jesus. Um, and they put Jesus. They put her before Jesus, and they said, Jesus, well, what should we do with her? The law says that we should kill her. And Jesus said, all right, well, let him who is sinless cast the first stone. Let him who has no sin throw the first stone. And they couldn't throw a stone because they recognized that they were all sinful. Not all of them had been adulterous. Not all of them had slept with a woman that wasn't their wife. Not all of them had lost their virginity before they were married. But all of them recognized that they have, in fact, been sinful. They have, in fact, sinned at some point. And because they looked at themselves, they recognized the sin in themselves. It inspired compassion and empathy in them. And they chose not to cast a stone against this young woman who was caught in adultery. And I love the second half of the story then. Jesus looks at her and says, does no one condemn you? She says, no, they've all left. Jesus says, neither then do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Similar to what I just said a second ago, he tells her to knock it off. Stop living that sinful lifestyle. But your sin is forgiven. You are not condemned because of this. Go and leave your life of sin. He gives her the opportunity to go and enjoy the rest of her time of grace. He gives her the opportunity to be restored in righteousness with her Heavenly Father. That's the attitude we need to have with people around us who are sinners, particularly those who have partaken in sexual sin. Let him who is sinless cast the first stone. I am not one to judge because I myself am a sinner. The second story I would share with you is the story of Jose and Gomer. This is one that gets overlooked a lot. It's not in our, it's not in our Christ-like curriculum, um, but it's the story of the prophet Hosea. And God says to the prophet Hosea, Hosea, you're not married. I want you to go out. I want you to find a prostitute, and I want you to marry her. So Hosea takes a hooker, and he marries her, makes, him his, or makes her his wife. They have two kids together. And after a few years of marriage, his wife leaves him and goes back into the sex trade. She sells herself again as a slave, as a sex slave, as one to be used. And we don't know what her background was. We don't know what her story was. But we do know that she was married to Hosea and she left him to go back into her sexual sin. And God came to Hosea and he said, Hosea, I want you to go and buy back your wife. So Hosea ends up going to a slave market where they're selling sex slaves and he has to say, that's my wife. I will buy her back. I'm going to make her mine again. And God says, that's a picture of the people of Israel. And it's also a picture of you and me. You and I are prone to wander. You and I are prone to turn our backs to God. We constantly wander away. We constantly adulterate ourselves. We constantly put idols on the thrones of our hearts instead of God. And yet God buys us back. He restores us. There is no sin that is too great for him to forgive. There is no sin that is exempt from his forgiveness. There is nothing I could ever do. There is nothing anyone could ever do that separates me from the love of Christ. And we need to recognize that, understand that, and remember that when we're dealing with each other's sins and we're looking into, each other, into ourselves and seeing sin in ourselves, we also need to rec that, recognize that in ourselves. The last story I want to point out to you is the story of Jesus. Now, Jesus' family line, as outlined in, in Matthew, is not some great, pure, holy family line. The idea that Mary was, was perfect is silliness. 
Um, there are some churches that would claim that Mary was perfect. She's not. She doesn't even come from a good and perfect family line. You look at the line of David. It's full of prostitutes, hookers, sinners, sexually immoral women and men. There are three quote-unquote errant women, whores, who are in Jesus' family line. There's Rahab, who was a professional prostitute. There's Bathsheba, who willingly slept with David. And there's Tamar, who slept with her father-in-law and posed as a prostitute and even took payment for it. These women are an active part of the family line that brought us Jesus. Not only that, but they're listed in Scripture as women who have been righteous, who have been active in playing a role in bringing the Savior into the world. Not to mention their husbands and other men in the family line who also were sexually sinful. God used these people to bring the Savior into the world. If God can use them to bring the Savior into the world, can he not use you and I, who also are sexually immoral? Can he not use us to spread the gospel? Can he not use us to go do great things in his kingdom? And even then, when we talk about single moms, like a lot of times we just don't want to go there, right? And there's this weird thing about like bringing a kid into our home sometimes that isn't ours, and we're always worried about the weirdness of it. And I understand all of that. But I want you to consider Joseph for a second. When Joseph decided to take Jesus into his home, it wasn't just like, all right, fine, I'll pretend that I'm the one who had sex with her or something like that. It wasn't just this like, eh, whatever, I'll raise the kid like he's mine. When Joseph decided to stay with Mary and to raise Jesus as his own son, he first of all was just like acknowledging to the world, hey, I know that everybody for the rest of my life is going to think I was cuckolded. Everybody for the rest of time is going to believe, even now people are still saying that Mary must have been unfaithful. Mary must have had sex with somebody besides Joseph before they were married. Mary must have been an adulteress. Joseph knew that was going to happen, and he chose to do it anyway. He chose to make himself weak. He chose to make himself look bad in order to be the father of the Savior. The other thing that we don't usually think about with Jesus is that if Jesus had been some bastard kid, if Joseph hadn't claimed him as his own, taken him into his family, and told everyone, hey, this is my son, I'm going to raise him, he's a part of my family, Jesus wouldn't technically be part of the line of David. In order for Jesus to be a part of the line of David, Joseph needs to be his earthly father. And that's exactly what Joseph does. Because Joseph says, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do what the Lord says. I'm going to take this child who is not my son into my family and make him my son. Jesus was able to be the Christ. You and I have the opportunity to do the same. And so I would say don't rule out single moms. A lot of times single moms have a lot more maturity. <laughs> They've already lived some life. And they're ready and willing. They, they already understand why um, marriage has been instituted the way it is because they've experienced the wrong side of it. They've experienced what it's like to not be in a loving and committed relationship, to have a family that isn't whole. And a lot of times they're looking to make that family whole. So don't rule them out altogether. Um, I think it's really important that we talk about sex, obviously. I think uh, that this is kind of the right way to talk about sex. I think this is a great foundation, a great place to start. I hope that we've been able to kind of reframe it in your mind, make you think about some things. If you want to challenge me on something, if you want to respond, feel free to do so. All the contact information is at the end of the show. Thank you to all the men who are part of the Gird Up podcast, who are part of the Gird Up project, uh, who are seeking to live out their calling as men of God. Blessings to you all. Please keep me in your prayers. Forgive each other. Keep yourselves pure. 
and go be the man that God created you to be. Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.